0: appreciate those of you who came early, came on time, and who will continue to come. And I'm sure at some point in time, my wife and children will get to church about midway through class this morning. And uh, if I'm not there, they tend to get there even later. But in her defense, she's getting four children ready by herself today. So... uh, and I, I so appreciate her and my children allowing me to, to travel around. This is my second weekend in a row. I try not to do two weekends in a row away from home, but I am doing that this, this month. And I appreciate them being willing to let me do that. Uh, I know I look really young with my gray and my beard. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a middle-aged guy. Okay, I'm probably past middle-aged now, but I want to still be middle-aged. But, uh, I don't just come with academic experience. Uh, I'm a fourth generation minister and uh my dad is will be preaching today in fact he's already preaching today in, in uh, Barnwell South Carolina coming up on 60 years of preaching and uh I've been involved in ministry for over uh, 25 years of paid ministry and so I love churches I love uh the church of Christ and I love to go and encourage my brothers and sisters around the country and around the world. So, I'm just glad to be with you today. For the next little while, we're going to talk about what's church got to do with it. What's church got to do with it? Now, I know a lot of you are thinking about Tina Turner's song now, What's Love Got to Do With It? And that's okay. If that's all you get, you'll know, you think about love the rest of the day. Um, We are in a... An interesting time within our nation, and that the largest religious group is actually not a religious group. It's called the nuns, and I'm not talking about the ladies, you know, that dress, uh, you know, religiously. We're talking about the N O N E S, the people who do not identify with any. Religious group. The second largest, and it may be passing the first one, is the DUNS, the D-O-N-E-S's. Uh, the people who say, I tried it, I tried it in all kind of different forms, and I'm done with it. I'm not going to do this religious stuff anymore. Uh, there's also a big rise in uh, house churches, and I'm not against house churches by any stretch. In fact, uh one of the most beautiful things that's happening, especially in India and Africa and the continent of Africa, is the rise of very small, organic uh, groups uh, of people that are obeying the gospel together. And there's a, a, a big rise of Christians coming out of Islam, especially in Africa, and they're in those smaller, organic churches. God can really do church how he wants to. But he also allows us to organize to a certain degree. And, and, and most of us, I'd say if you're in this room today, you kind of have an idea of church. And it's what you're doing here this weekend together. But it's not just what you do on Sunday. It's what you do throughout the week. Church is important. Christ gave his life for the church. He purchased the church. He established the church And he established the church because we couldn't do this by ourselves. And so, what's church got to do with it? It's got a lot to do with it. So, we're going to talk for a little while about the role of the people of God in spiritual formation. In other words, what do we as church members, as Christians, as a church, have to do with each other in the spiritual maturation process? Individuals cannot be fully formed without participation in a strong community of faithful believers, and the church impacts. Make sure this. Is feeling, I'm going to put them all up here. Impacts the spiritual formation of our members by mentoring, building up, and providing an environment of love and accountability. The Apostle Paul stresses the role of the faith community in spiritual formation. His key thought on the role of the body of Christ centers in one Corinthians twelve to 14 and Romans chapter 12 and that is that every member of the church every member of the church is there to build each other up and so build up the whole by the way what do I when do I end somebody says now but what when would I nine o'clock okay nine o'clock ten o'clock okay good I was like I am already past time man I knew I knew we started a little late all right the people of God provide an environment of love and accountability. They mentor others to be more like the Lord and use their gifts to build up the body. And we're going to unpack that as we go. Let's let's go to uh, a very important passage of Scripture: Ephesians four eleven to sixteen. Ephesians four eleven to sixteen. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the Head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together, well, I need to get up there. Uh, alright, I got ahead of myself and I apologize. Uh, from the whole body, iPads are great till you lose your place. Uh, Yes, thank you. Being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Okay, so what we see here is that spiritual formation occurs as we interact with each other. It's not an individual pursuit. In fact, we could say following Jesus, as Daryl Tippins puts it, following Jesus is not a solo enterprise. Jesus meant for us to follow him together. Church provides an environment of love and accountability. Being a Christian means to be a part of a community and to take responsibility and accountability in the community seriously. God expects Christians to be there for each other, to spur one another on to good deeds. Hebrews 10.25, we call it the not forsaking the assembly passage because that's what we think of there. Well, what's the reason for not forsaking the assembly? It's so we can spur one another on to good deeds. We we help each other get up and get going. We help each other do something that is meaningful. As we travel in each other's company, we, we not only find safety and encouragement, we find Jesus himself walking beside us. Luke 24, 13-35. I like what Parker J. Palmer writes here. I'm going to move this a little bit so I can see what I'm doing. let make sure I get that. Parker J. Palmer writes, The community is a check against my personal distortions. It helps interpret the meaning of text and gives guidance in my experience of prayer. With God's people, I can live out or discover I am lacking the peace and joy, the humility and servanthood by which spiritual growth is measured. If I can uh, if I can just be real personal for a moment, I, I left full-time uh, ministry... In Arizona, moved back to Alabama, and for the first time in my life, I had to look for a church to be a part of. Because, as I told the leaders this weekend, either my dad was paid or I was paid always to go to church. So I don't mean that bad, but I mean that's you know, that's kind of where I picked the church was was you know who was was giving me a paycheck. And so for the first time, I moved into a community with lots and lots of uh, Churches of Christ, and and had to look for a church to be a part of. And it took us a good you know nine months. To settle in on a church. And those nine months were really rough on me spiritually. They were rough on me because I didn't have that community. I didn't have that that sense of community. I didn't have those folks that were holding me accountable. That were, were loving me and encouraging me. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to love me. To keep me in check spiritually. And to model for me what it means to be like Christ. And this is a sentiment shared by Paul in several of his letters. He believes that the transforming love of Christ is found in loving communities of faith. And certainly that's expressed even at the outset of all his letters. You might uh, think about that. And the Apostle John affirms that the ultimate test of authentic Christian community is love for one another. In 1 John four nineteen to 21 We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Andrew Purvis speaks emphatically about the importance of the faith community where Christians live in loving communion with God and each other. And I want you to really listen to this. To assume one can be a Christian without attending church and participating in the life and mission of the fellowship is to misunderstand the meaning of being joined to Jesus Christ. Communion with Christ involves communion with one another and sharing together in Christ's mission to and for the world. While Christianity provides a deeply personal relationship with God, Christianity is not to be construed as individualistic and as an essentially private experience. Christian faith is lived as a communion in the body of Christ. Before I go on to one more thing he says, think about 1 Corinthians 11. And for most of us through the years, especially if we've grown up in church of Christ, we've heard 1 Corinthians 11 in the context of the Lord's Supper over and over and over again and Oh, if anybody's doing that today, please don't feel bad. I'm good with it, okay? I'm good with 1 Corinthians 11. But, I mentioned a while ago 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. I know 13's the love chapter. It's not a wedding chapter. You can use it that way, but that's not the original intent of it. Paul jumps from the problems with, with the Lord's Supper and the schisms in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, and he launches into what? It means to be a body and, and the importance of every member, the importance of every part working together. Andrew Purvis goes on to say, the congregation has the function of creating the community that's lacking in society, providing warmth and authenticity. This rings familiar with themes found in Paul's letters to the Ephesians and Philippians. This love and authenticity was also evident in the early apostolic church, Acts 2-4. to And guess what, folks? People are desperate for authentic community today. And this is what saddens me, probably more than anything, with the nuns and the duns, is that they're totally rejecting true, authentic community. That's... One of the things that church has to do with is true, authentic community. Uh, I was able to witness among your leadership this weekend people that really loved each other. People that cared about each other. People would, would sacrifice for each other. And you just can't get that at the football game. You can't get it at the local coffee shop. You can't get it at the bar. You may get some edges of it you may get some semblance of it but you don't get true authentic warmth and community in his letter to the church at Philippi, paul puts great emphasis on the community living out a transformed existence living out their heavenly citizenship in the present paul encourages them to be unselfish to love one another to hold each other accountable he writes this philippians 2 one to four therefore That passage doesn't jump out and say, hey, it's all about you. It jumps out and says, it's all about the other person. It's all about you together. So the church provides that love and accountability. And church members mentor each other. Spiritual formation is influenced by the people of faith with whom an individual engages. And this is evident in both the Old and New Testaments. Uh, you see in the Old Testament, uh, Moses' father-in-law Jethro coming and, and seeing that Moses is not doing things very well. <laughs> you know, he's taking everything on himself and he, he's, he's sitting and standing all day long and listening to everybody's problems. He said, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta do this better. Gonna, you need to appoint more leaders. You need to pass this on. Moses mentors Joshua. David and Jonathan mentor each other as as peers in loyalty and friendship. Elijah the prophet mentored Elisha to take his place. Moses, Aaron, the priest, and the Levites were charged to be spiritual guides and mentors for the Israelites. The covenant God made with the Israelites was intended to form them into a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus 19 verse 6. God expected the spiritual leaders of Israel to form this people he had delivered from slavery into the holy nation he desired them to become. Jesus' understanding of community led him to do what? To choose twelve apostles. To go with him for three years. To, to be with him in the midst of his ministry. To mold them. To teach them. And this spiritual formation that they had at the mentorship of Jesus was evident to the Jewish ruling council in Acts chapter 4. The council was surprised by their spiritual strength. They'd been spiritually formed by being mentored by Jesus through their mutual experiences and by the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus teaches them about prayer and coming away uh, by themselves to be alone with God. He teaches them about service and hospitality when he girds the towel around his waist and washes their feet. The apostle Paul was mentored from an early age by his teacher Gamaliel, and later, uh, Barnabas mentored him. Barnabas knew the type of environment, people, and experiences that Paul needed to develop spiritually. And then Paul had his own mentoring relationship with Timothy and Titus. To Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 1 to 2, he writes, it writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. What does he call him? My true child in the faith. So Paul takes great interest in Timothy's growth and maturation as a spiritual leader as evidenced in both letters to Timothy and also in Philippians two nineteen 19-23. And he, he signals a similarly close relationship to Titus. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus my what? True Son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. So by calling Timothy and Titus true children in the faith, Paul makes it clear that he takes a personal interest in their spiritual development. And Paul's view and practice is that the central task of the church is to provide role models for the spiritually formed life. This is his instruction to Timothy and Titus. It's his practice in his writings. He mentors Timothy and Titus and he expects them to mentor others. 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 2, Titus 2, all express that thought. He urges the Philippians to follow his example and the example of those who follow him in conforming to Christ. Philippians 3, 8-17. Following the example and instruction of a more mature believer is essential for an individual Christian to be spiritually formed. I kind of ran on through the, the environment of love and accountability and I got into mentoring. But I want to stop and kind of step back for a minute. And I'm going to start with the mentoring question. And then we'll go back to the other before we move into our last section. I'll ask this first as a rhetorical question. But I'd be more than happy for somebody to give me a response or more than one person. Is there somebody in your life that was a spiritual mentor for you or maybe even more than one person? They may even be in this room today. Was there somebody and 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 you might want to take just you know a moment to give us a a couple of statements about that mentoring relationship and kind of who it was and how it worked and and what it means for you today. Anybody? Yes, sir. My dad. All right. Great. Thank you very much for sharing that. And thank you for all that you've done for the kingdom. And I appreciate your dad's influence very much. I've got a similar story with that. Anybody else? Somebody that, that mentored you in the faith. And, and you just want to think about that. Anybody right over here? Very good. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I want to make sure I say this before I move off of mentoring and, and back up to the environment of love and accountability, which kind of go hand in hand. But there are different uh, types of mentoring. What we we often think about, and what what you guys have shared, and appropriately so, and I think it's still the primary mindset, is uh, someone older, more mature, you know, teaches us, models for us, and so forth. But I did mention Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David would be an example of, of peer mentoring. Uh, in a way Barnabas and Paul sort of had the same thing going on that was peer mentoring. Maybe Barnabas kind of started off here, but then they got equals pretty pretty quickly and then they mentored each you know other people in the faith. You need that, that peer mentoring. You need downward mentoring, you need upward mentoring, you need, you know, horizontal mentoring. Uh, if you have a, a a group of friends within this congregation that maybe counter in the same uh, life season, uh, you probably mentor each other and and encourage each other. Uh, elders typically are sort of mentors for for other folks, or, or or ministers are. But but I want you to think very broadly about mentoring, and don't don't leave the room and think, well, I, I really can't be a mentor to anybody. Oh no, you. If you're living and breathing and and you have something to share, then you can be a mentor for someone. If you have children, you're a mentor for them. Um, I mentioned that uh I come from a fourth I'm a fourth generation minister, but we skipped a generation. Uh my great-great-grandfather was a preacher and my great-grandfather was a preacher, but my grandfathers were not preachers. In fact, they were not very spiritual. My great-grandfather mentored my father. And were it not for my great-grandfather taking interest in his grandson, his only grandson, and, and teaching him about God and teaching him the Bible... Uh, I'm not sure that I would be standing here today or that I'd be a Christian. So, so grandparents, go with that. Run with it. Take advantage of that. Every opportunity you have. Uh, aunts and uncles do that. Uh, my sister's a great mentor to all her nieces and nephews. Uh, so, so make sure that you are a mentor to somebody and also allow yourself to be mentored by somebody. Uh, that's a sign of humility and spiritual maturity. Uh, what What are your thoughts on how the church provides an environment of love and accountability? You got any examples or just want to kind of make a comment about that before we move to the last thing? How does the church provide an environment of love and accountability? And does that mean anything to you personally? Uh, keeping me in check, you know, I'm... I'm uh, I mean, my wife keeps me in check on a lot of things, you know, but uh, I'm not talking about necessarily having an accountability partner. You, you can do that if you want to, or an accountability group. You know, I've, I've been a part of that with, with groups of men where we kind of just keep in check. But what I'm really talking about is somebody sees me really getting off track with life or with my relationship with Christ, or I'm, I'm withdrawing from involvement with the church. And so the church or at least part of the church, is going to come in and kind of help me, draw me back in and keep me in check. So does that, that help you? Okay. The word accountability scares us. It should not. Okay. Well, I agree with that to a point, but let me talk about um, what shepherds are. You know, shepherds are to be overseers of the the souls of the congregation. So, uh, I think one of the roles that shepherds, that elders play, is to help create that environment of love and accountability for the congregation, to help us keep in check, to help us stay on track. Tony? Tony?
1: Talking yesterday about a safe church, mm-hmm. uh, I think is the term you use, and I, I think I think there's a struggle in creating an environment of a safe church, and I don't think that's unique to Heartland. I think that is very prominent in the
0: church. It is very prominent, and it's a uh, it's a little bit of a cultural issue, and uh, this is what I'm afraid uh, we react to sometimes. Uh, in in our current uh, cultural environment, and, and I'm going to call it uh, postmodernism, but I really want to move on from that and call it post-Christian because that's really more what it is. Um, you know, we tend to not like rules. We tend to be anti-institutional. We tend to be anti-authority, and and that can seep into our our thought processes as Christians, uh, and we can react to anybody who seems in any sort of authority over us. But when I'm talking about love and accountability, and I know I brought up elders, but I'm not not—I'm not so much talking about authority. I'm not so much talking about institution. I'm talking about relational accountability. Um, yes, ma'am.
1: Because like she didn't call me and say let's get together and hammer or hey, need to come to <coughs> church, but she just continued to reach out to me with her friendship and her love. It um, got together with me, and finally through that, I was like, you know, she's got something that I want to get what she has, and that's what brought me back to try church again. she just never gave up on me. But she also she had that balance of making me wanted and.
0: That's good. I want to jump off that. And I, I saw your hand over here. Um, it's love and accountability, and that's what she showed. And the accountability part, we don't need to concentrate on somebody's uh, over us. That, just forget that. It's that you present yourself to be accountable to somebody else, and you're willing, and even bigger, I just look out for everybody else. I'm just on the lookout for people who need me. I'm on the lookout for people who need my love and concern and need me to come kind of bring them along. Think about what Barnabas did with Paul. Paul comes to Jerusalem. He's essentially rejected by the apostles and they send him back home because they're a little bit nervous about him. And Barnabas goes and gets him. He goes and gets him. And what, what would the world be like, you know, where would we be if Barnabas hadn't gone and gotten Paul and said, you know, I, I haven't forgotten about that guy. I haven't forgotten about him. So let me get to him and then I'll come back to you, yes, sir? Well, a uh, long time ago when I was a young married with young children. Um, oh, you don't look that old. Come on, I don't now. Oh, yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> he go up to bat.
1: He'd say, be typical. Come on, yeah. be typical. And he wasn't saying, you know, hit a grand slam every time you get up. But it it recognized that, you know, you can be in a good place and still need to put effort into it. Um, he didn't wait for you to be, you know, down in the in the gutter doing bad things. It was a day-to-day
0: thing. That's, that's exactly right. That's and, good. And
1: <laughs> the image for Curtis to build his life around. Right, but I remember that's really and good be do what you meant, you know what you meant to do and and sometimes that that's all we need to be you meant for. Um, is that a good philosophy is that a positive thing of course and do I you know do I use that as one of my standards you know what am I supposed to be doing and and I think for
0: mentoring those little things Absolutely. Don't overlook anything. You know, a lot of it comes down to spending time with people and investing in people. That's really what it is. So, And that's what people remember more than individual things. There, you got something too? Okay, go to him and then to you and then we're going to move on to the next one. Absolutely.
1: Sure does. That's right.
0: Yes, sir. And, and when we have openness and trust and love, we're able to do that more. So, thank you. I, I do want to get to my last point because it's going to tie into my sermon, so I better make sure I get there. So. Um, the last one was uh, that the church uses their gifts, the members use their gifts to build up the body. So the Spirit creates and builds up the community of faith into Christ. We see 1 Corinthians 12-14. And Paul stresses that the Spirit's gifts are given so the body of Christ will function properly. He speaks about how the church should pursue love and desire gifts that build up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, to 4 Ephesians four twelve to 16 we read earlier, gives us a clear picture of some of the spiritual gifts in action. And Paul uses words in reference to church leaders using their gifts in the church like equipping, building, Attain, mature, grow. Christians use their talents and gifts to strengthen the body of Christ so that we all mature and grow more into the likeness of Jesus. And what's clear in Ephesians 4 is that spiritual growth is important for the whole church, not just individual Christians. As Paul teaches, the greatest spiritual gifts are those that edify the whole church. Christian spirituality is conceived, nurtured, and realized within the body of Christ. Therefore, my true spiritual formation, or if I'm really to attain true spiritual maturity, it cannot be achieved on an individual basis. It can only be achieved in the communal setting where every member utilizes his or her gifts to help others mature. Ephesians 4.16, when every part is working properly, the result is both bodily growth and spiritual building up in love, Ephesians 4.16. And the beautiful reality is that believers are not only united to Christ the head, they are also united, like the physical body, to all other members. Within the community of the church, all members touch and symphonize with one another. Just like a hand must be attached to an arm and fingers attached to a hand, so must every member of the church be attached to the rest of the body. As I mentioned earlier, two pivotal passages of Scripture where Paul addresses the role of the body of Christ in the, in the maturing of Christians in First Corinthians 12 to 14 and Romans 12. And Paul explains how, how each member plays a role in building each other up and, so, and by so doing builds up the entire body of Christ. And a, a key phrase for Paul is this, for the body is not one member, but many the body is not one member but many according to paul god has placed every member in the body just as he desired 1 corinthians 12:18 just as he desired now paul's view is that one person cannot possess all of the gifts needed to edify themselves the gifts that belong to individual christians promote formation of the entire community he emphasizes the idea that gifts are given for the building up of the body of Christ. They're not meant for the individual. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven to thirteen eight, Paul declares that gifts are not, that are not exercised with the love of the church in mind are not being used with the proper intention. That gifts will eventually be done away with, but love will remain. 1 Corinthians thirteen eight to 13. He further emphasizes the importance of love and the use of gifts in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 4. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, before you get lost in the word prophecy, let me make sure we get it in some context. Too often we think of prophecy as this foretelling of something in the future. And that's not so much, although there were some of those New Testament prophets, like Agabus, for instance. We get that example. But prophecy is more foretelling than it is foretelling. It's proclaiming. It's proclamation of truth. And that's really more what Paul's talking about here. In Romans 12, 1-13, Paul elaborates on this theology of the body of Christ's role in spiritual formation. The members of the church For to be diligent in using their gifts, for building each other up, and for seeking harmonious relations with one another and those outside the church. And I just want to sum it up here. Do we have any kind of bell or anything, or is that okay? We have a first bell and a second bell, or just a second bell? Okay. That make it yeah, just a second bell. I'm actually about the end here, but I want to I want to spend a few minutes on the summation. Christians are not given gifts for selfish purposes, but for serving purposes. If you're a Christian, you have a gift. You have a gift if you're a Christian. You may have more than one gift. I don't think it's uncommon for people to have more than one gift, but but you, you have a gift of some sort. Uh Sometimes we have some natural abilities that God then takes when we become Christians. And, and the Spirit enhances. Sometimes it works like that. Sometimes we get things we didn't have before. Uh, or, you know, I've got an example of a, of a good friend who's in ministry. And uh, he could not sing when we were growing up. He's a few years older than me. And uh, people didn't want to sit by him in church. I'm I'm telling the truth. In fact, uh, I'm ashamed to say this. When I was 15 or 16 years old, I would move around the auditorium trying to avoid him. And he always found me. And uh, he's still a good friend. And I I repented of that, by the way. I really did. Even at 16, I decided, you know, I just need to sit by this guy. He's got a good heart. I just need to sit by him. And so, oh, he could not sing. I mean, just, it was, it was, you know, if you've ever heard the term caterwauling, I mean, that's what he, you know, and I, I mean, I, I remember people coming to me because they knew he and I were friends. I mean, older people would come to me and say, is there something you can do to, you know, help this situation? Just get him not to do it as loud, you know, just something. He kept singing out, kept singing out with everything he's got. Because that's the way he lives his life. I mean, he lives his life just all out for God, and so he was going to give it, all, give it everything he's got. You know, that Joker became a pretty good singer. Yeah, he really did. Leads worship congregation in South Carolina now. He's a campus minister. He's done great, great, and wonderful things for God. And he gave everything he had to God all the time, still does, and God honored that. Boy, the interesting singing—it's going to be interesting today with people, you know, really, you know, singing out loud. Now, sing out this morning—that'd be good. Uh, I believe God honors the direction of our life when it's according to His will. In Romans 12, which is one of those passages that deals with spiritual giftedness. The very first part of that you're so familiar with. Present your bodies to be what a living sacrifice. And what's the reason for that? So you'll know what the perfect will of God is. And then he goes on to talk about the gifts that were given. Um, I don't have any kind of time to jump on the speaking of tongues today. Because we got about, we got five minutes. I brought it up, but that wasn't the main point in my lesson, so. Uh, I will say I do not think we should because of exactly what Paul said. It's not edifying because if there's not somebody to interpret, it's not a purpose. And I think it had specific purposes in the original time. And I think it was related to language, not uh, just these utterances that mean something. I think it had very specific purpose behind it, so. Um, so I didn't totally jump off of it, but I don't want everybody to leave saying we're talking about tongues today because that's not the main thing. Um, The church was established with the idea that its members would use their gifts to spiritually form each other. So, you know, one thing Paul says is desire desire the gifts that edify the church. Desire the gifts that build up the body. Um, And what he spends the most time on in that 1 Corinthians 13 chapter is not so much talking about the gifts, but what's, what's the four letter word he talks about? Love. He's talking about love. Um, expressing love, genuine love. Uh, there was a little lady in the congregation where I grew up as a very young man. Um, she never married, she was a retired school teacher. Uh, she substitute taught in the elementary schools that I went to, and everybody hated her in the elementary schools because she was mean. She was a mean substitute. She was not a mean lady. She was just a very authoritarian in her in her substitute skills, which probably makes a good substitute actually. But um, my family didn't have much money, and and I wanted to go to Bible camp, and every summer, uh, Sister Agnes Ingram paid for my brother and I to go to, to Bible camp. And she not only paid for us to go, she gave us money for a canteen and crafts and, and all this. And the other thing she did was every time she saw me, and I'm talking about from the time I was eight years old till I was thirteen when we moved away, every time she saw me, she said, One day, you're gonna be a great preacher. She mentored, she had Provided love and accountability to me. You know why? Because she put that thought in my head all the time about what I was supposed to do with my life. My dad is a preacher; was a preacher. The reason I'm a preacher has more to do with Agnes Ingram than my dad. Don't underestimate the gifts. You know, encouraging is one of the gifts that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. There are some people who just have that gift. Giving is a gift. Being cheerful is a gift for some people. You know, use the gifts that build up the body. And finally, members of the body of Christ are there for each other, just to sum it all up, provide an environment of love and accountability, to mentor and model the spiritually mature life, and to use the gifts given by God to strengthen the individual members and thus build up the entire body. Uh, I came here primarily to, to meet with the leaders of the church and to do some leadership development. We had a great time up in St. Joseph, and, and we got into a lot of stuff, and a lot of nuts and bolts, and a lot of philosophy and theology and, and all that. But I wanted an opportunity to, to talk to the church as a whole to encourage you that everybody has a part. Everybody. Every person. Even if you don't think you have a part, you have a part. Um, several years ago, I was in campus ministry. and uh, I was campus minister at the University of South Alabama in Mobile. And when I moved there, they had gone through a, a, a big graduation. And they, the, the campus minister that had been there was going, moving to another place to plant a church. And he took some of the students with him. It, none of it was negative. It wasn't a, it wasn't a bad thing. It was all, it was all positive. But when I got there, what had been a group of about 35 or so was a group of four. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that I knew to do wasn't working. And, and, and finally, uh, we just met with the group of four one night. And, and we, I said, just forget whatever we were going to do. We're just going to talk for a little while. And I went around the room and I just said, here, just this is the question. This is the question. What can you do to help build up this group? What can you do to help build up this ministry? And, uh, you know, we had two or three comments that I don't even remember. Okay, I I, I remember the faces that were there, but I do not remember what these people said. But I, I, to this day, remember one comment from one guy. And every time I think about him and I see him occasionally, I thank him for saying this because it was what I needed to hear and it's what everybody needed to hear and it's what needed to happen. I said, Ronnie, what can you do? He said, I can always be here. He was always there. Chairs needed to be put out. He put chairs out. Chairs needed to be taken up. He took chairs away. He said about three words a week. I mean, he really... He's probably the quietest person I've ever known. I used to go hunting with him. And if I had not seen him, he was really, really skinny too. And if I didn't keep my eye on him, I would have missed him. I mean, he'd have gone away. Because you wouldn't have heard him. He just didn't say anything. But He was always there. And see, that was a gift of encouragement to me. That He was always there. I knew that if I planned something, that it might just be my wife and me and Ronnie, but they would be there. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to use our gifts to build up the body. Help us to recognize that we are gifted by Your Spirit. And I pray for this congregation that it would grow in number and in spirit and maturity and faith and be a beacon of light to this community. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.